Hello and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is volume 6, issue 251, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. You can play along with volume 6. The entire schedule up to and including issue 300 can now be found on the Cane and Rinse website. Uh, for those looking into the near future, the next five issues will cover... We're getting towards the end of the line on uh, our Legend of Zelda series, and the next podcast is going to be Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks. After that, you may know it as Grisor or Probotector. We have a show on Contra and Super Contra. Then we're discussing the Street Fighter 3 series. After that, The Order 1886, and then Undertale. If you enjoy what we do, there are a number of ways which you can support us. Some people asked if there was a Patreon where they could use as kind of a, a digital chip tip jar to be able to uh, just throw some money some way to help with running costs and, and that sort of thing. So uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse uh, where you can donate a dollar or more if you wish per month, but rest assured for those who donate and those who don't, there is no uh, no content behind paywalls, no difference in the good old Cane and Rinse podcast and site as you know it. Um, if you would prefer to uh, support us visibly, um, you can wear one of our fashionable t-shirts and or Cane and Rinse bags. Uh, those can be found at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk forward slash Cane and Rinse. And everything you buy there, again, supports the podcast with a couple of pounds coming to, to us from those purchases. In addition to the Cane and Rinse podcast, you may also know, you may also listen to uh, our video games music podcast, Sound of Play. Now, you've all gone to the rapture. Thankfully, four of us haven't. Joining me, James Carter, in issue 251 are Jay Taylor. Hello. Sean O'Brien. Hello, hello. And Tony Atkins. Or have we? Or have we? Yeah. <laughs> hello. <laughs> By the time you hear this, we are nothing but beams of light. Um, so before we started with our histories, I thought it was probably worthwhile pointing out that way back, uh, not far off, uh, four and a half years ago, um, we, we yeah, <laughs> volume one, issue 34, uh, we discussed uh, Dear Esther, uh, which is obviously pertinent to this being the same developer and this kind of a spiritual successor is how the Chinese room uh, basically uh, pitched this game. Um, tangentially related, volume five, issue 245, six episodes prior to this one, um, the some of the crew talked about Amnesia the Dark Descent. Now, not a Chinese room game, but they did make in between Dear Esther and this a sequel to Amnesia the Dark Descent called Amnesia Machine for, for Pigs. Uh, we haven't covered that at all. Tangentially related, as I say. To, to get my own history over with, um, if you listened to or are now going back to listen to the Dear Esther podcast, you'll know that's one of my favourite games um, of all time, uh, pretty much. Um, I, I was a massive fan of that. Um, there was no way I wasn't going to be picking up and buying this game uh, on, on day one release on PlayStation 4, which is exactly what I did. Um, that's my history. Uh, I, I picked it up then, played it in very um, sort of short uh, short shrift. Well, not short shrift, but in, in uh, a very short period after that. Um, 
and played through multiple times, multiple sort of different ways to play through it, which sounds odd for a game that's mechanics light like this one, but there are different ways to play through it in terms of different uh, trophies and challenges. So I made sure I got the, the platinum trophy on on this one. Um, that's that's kind of my history. We'll get into what I thought about this later on, obviously. But Jay, I think your history with this is quite different. Yeah, I, I got it free with PlayStation Plus. <laughs> um but I was aware of the game and it was a game that was on my list of games I wish to play. I mm. just, it just yeah. you know, I'll, I'll get, I get around to stuff probably about several yeah. years after everybody else has played <laughs> stuff. But, the um, its way, we call that. Yeah, yeah indeed. Um, but anyway, it, luckily for me, um, it became part of the subscription. And yeah. so, yeah, the timing was perfect. No, it's great when that happens. It's not mm. so great when you buy a game, don't get around to playing it, and then it comes up on PlayStation <laughs> yeah. Plus. But, so at least you avoided that one. Yeah. What's worse is when you buy a game and then like two weeks the later week, it yeah. comes yeah. up on PlayStation yeah. Plus. That's far worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very true. Okay, Sean, how about yourself? For me, I'd, I'd only played maybe about half hour, 45 minutes of Dear Esther, and um, mm-hmm. not when it came out, like ahead of in a couple of years, maybe... Mm. I don't know, three or four after it came out, but I didn't turn it off out of um, like any hatred for the game or anything. It just, I don't know, just I, I turned it off and then just never went back to it. Um, sure, yeah. So when this came out, I was aware of it, but I had no real, like, I guess, excitement for it. I mean, it looked interesting. Yeah. It, well, visually, it looked gorgeous, um, but it just, I think maybe the setting, uh, for just, you know, me being. A city boy from America had, you know, I had no uh, immediate affection, I guess, for that kind of setting. And so it basically, point being is that I wasn't too excited for it when it came out, but I did end up picking it up, I think, um, what did it come out in August or something like that of 2015? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I picked August it up last in year, yeah. October. It must have been on sale. Hmm. So I uh, played it once when it came out, um, probably over maybe two days, and then hmm. uh, recently replayed it again, finishing it up last night. So. Cool, excellent. And Tony? Well, I did buy it before I, uh, it came out on PlayStation Plus and not play it until <laughs> after it came out on PlayStation <laughs> Plus. But hey, um, now it's, uh, I, I was on that show with you, uh, James, on Dear Esther, mm. uh, way back four and a half years ago. Um, it's a game I liked but did not love. Um, I liked it's kind of, I like the idea of it more than I enjoyed the, the overall kind of mechanics i love the aesthetic but um i felt a little bit lost in its world um because maybe uh, a little lack of direction um but if you want to hear my thoughts on that obviously go back to issue (laughs) go go back way back um and yes it it was i mean i I played it recently um like say really over in the last i guess that's three weeks ago there or thereabouts um Mm. Partly because obviously we we put this on on the the list and uh, wanted to cover it. It's one of those things that made me made me get my ass into gear and actually get playing it to cover it. <laughs> um, but uh, also, it's a it's a game that I saw a lot of people talk about. Of, of course, um, a lot of people would post screenshots. Um, ironically, I've listened to the soundtrack before playing the games because mm-hmm. it's very good. Um, and it just took me a while to get around to playing the game for no real reason other than, you know, just one of those things. So um, I only played it three weeks ago, um, but gone through it twice since then. So my initial playthrough, which lasted over a couple of nights, and then my playthrough over the last two days um, just before this podcast. So pretty pretty boned up on it by now. Uh, great. Well, 
just to catch up on a little bit, we've kind of touched on on there, obviously, um, a bit about the history of the game. Um, the Chinese Room, developers of Dear Esther and Amnesia, a machine for pigs, along with um, some other, I think fair to say, smaller projects. Those are the those two, and and this one are the three mm-hmm. full yeah. titles, main games, if you like, that the, they've they've developed. Um, because this was a console exclusive on PlayStation Four, as relatively often happens um a sony studio is is kind of attached often it's um uh, japan studio in this case it was sce santa monica now sie santa monica because sony do love to rebrand um so (laughs) obviously no idea where the divisions in in the the kind of split of the development Mm. um no reason to believe that the vast majority of the work for this game wasn't done by the Chinese room, but just sure. worth saying that there there are there is another developer listed um, on that, and and likewise for publishing. So, um, Sony Computer Entertainment now obviously Sony Interactive Entertainment uh, published the PS4 and the PC versions listed as I haven't played it, so I couldn't check the, yeah, uh, yeah. the credits for that uh, listed as published by PlayStation Mobile, which. <laughs> Seems very odd, but I guess that's just the way the publishing deal worked out. PlayStation Mobile were able to publish on PC, where um, Sony Computer Entertainment, as far as I know, don't publish on PC. The only times mm-hmm. are when kind of uh, other branches of Sony uh, publish onto PC for uh, MMOs and stuff, notably. Yeah. Um, this game, uh, so a lot of the, the sort of credited uh, development team on this game are going to be old hands if you've played previous uh, Chinese Room games. So director Jessica Curry, who also was the composer on this um, and, and has been for, for the rest of the Chinese Room's games. Um, designer Andrew Crawshaw, writer Dan Pinchbeck. A- again, these are names that that we that certainly I associate with, uh, with the Chinese Room. Oddly enough, though, uh, the engine used for this is the Cry Engine, and uh, when I saw that, uh, I I immediately obviously recognised that Dear Esther had been Source Engine, although I think one of the ports was done in Unity. But um, and and then I, I immediately went to check Amnesia Machine for Pigs, which was actually done on uh, HPL, I think it's called, which I presume is the engine that was used for the Amnesia series and therefore mm. the engine that they were asked to use or made sense to use. Sure. Um, so yeah, a, a studio that are working on different engines every time. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but that seems remarkable to me. Yeah. Given, not that the cry engine can look this good. We know the cry engine can look this good, obviously, mm. but uh, to get this much out of an engine um, when you're hopping, you know, you, you don't mm-hmm. necessarily have the, the legacy with it. Yeah. So. I think they're only like an 11 person team too. So, yeah, for that small of a team to get that much, uh, to get that kind of visual out, it's really impressive. Yeah, well, I wonder if it's either brave development or actually sensible development, looking at the the engine that you need for the title that you're mm, making, mm-hmm. rather than yeah. just sticking yeah. to that. Yeah. Well, this is the one we know. This is the one we must work on. Right. Actually, yeah. you know, the Cry Engine may have been the one that you know did foliage the best and you know, those lights sure. effects the best and mm-hmm. you know, made yeah. the sense yeah, to you know to you know relearn, I guess, retool. Um, but yeah, notable anyway. You know, so, so many studios. Um, either have their own engines or stick, stick to, to the one, engines yeah. they know. And it's uh, interesting to see that Chinese Room uh, and their programmers obviously are happy to kind of mix that up a bit, which is uh, quite good. So as Sean, you said, I think uh, this was released on uh, PlayStation 4, 11th of August, 2015. So a couple of years after the PlayStation 4 had come out, I think it had been known for quite a while before that, that this mm-hmm. game was going to be coming to PlayStation 4, hence my anticipation for it. Um 
And then there was a PC version released uh, eight months, yeah, eight months afterwards on 14th of April 2016. Um, it, as mentioned, was code developed or certainly published by Sony, so therefore console exclusive, but obviously with the studio's history as a PC developer, mm. putting it on PC kind of makes sense, uh, as so many indie games end up uh, yeah. doing. I think fair to say fittingly for this type of game, um, <laughs> reviews ended up being quite skewed. Some some reviews very, very positive, other reviews in the negative to very negative um, mm-hmm. end, which gave an average out on Metacritic of 78, um, 76 for the PC, so kind of splitting hairs on the difference there. Um, mm. Interestingly, on game rankings, it came out very, very similar, 79.89, so 80% uh, on PlayStation 4, but there were only two PC reviews, uh, and that ended up with a, a higher score. Uh, but obviously, two reviews means you know sure. uh, that that's going to be the cl- the case. Um, user ratings again, typically for this kind of game, Metacritic user rate- ratings six point four, so lower than the the critical reviews. Um, and because uh, again of the type of game, uh, it, it has an IMDb score because it has voice actors who are mm-hmm. uh, on IMDb, etc. So therefore, the game ends up on there. So so yeah, I. I I think nothing shocking about that, but what do you guys, how did you guys take that? Did that have any bearing on your enthusiasm to play the game or not to play the game at all? Uh, no, no, none at all. Has um, it ever? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, no, yeah, you always look for things that interest you personally mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Sure. And, yeah. you know, irrespective of what the general consensus usually goes, I mean, yeah. whether, yeah. you know, means nothing to me to be honest yeah mm. yeah a, a, an individual it, recommendation from yeah. someone that knows your tastes well yeah. is always going to mm. trump what i'm going to say is this mm. is a game that has hit playstation plus so um whereas quite often yeah the, I, I see the the metacritic um review there in 78 which is you know what i'd imagine it would probably be critical consensus but i think that you know the user critic review 6.4 doesn't surprise me it's a game that mm. maybe hit a lot more hands than would have normally done thanks to its playstation mm. plus mm-hmm. um, release and that's not to say that oh my god it didn't you know anybody that you know didn't pay for it couldn't understand the game at all not at all um you know it's it's all personal take but I think it's that kind of game that I think if yeah. you've paid your money for it, you kind of know what you're already walking into. Yeah. And I think yeah. if it just hits your hands, you play for an hour and go, nah, it's not grabbing me. And kind of. <laughs> yeah. And, and then easy, stop on Metacritic. Yeah, quite easy yeah. formulate a, yeah. an, an opinion on yeah. the game. I'm, I'm not yeah. saying yeah. all people wouldn't have played it to the very end, mm-hmm. but I, I do think, you know, that doesn't surprise me that the, the user reviews are slightly lower. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you mentioned play to the end because I was looking at the trophies earlier. And you know how you've got your percentage score mm, mm. that's based on overall yeah. people who've played it. Now, I guess, yeah, you know, yeah. there's always a percentage that aren't online, so it's not entirely accurate, sure. but you think of it, the vast majority probably will be. Um, the, the end trophy, the one you get for just completing the game, the percentage score is 13.5. Now, I don't know whether, because I've looked at other games recently thinking like, wow, you know, these percentage scores for finishing the game, on any yeah. difficulty, you know, you kind of think sometimes it's surprising. Like even big yeah. games, you, you you see a, a score like forty percent, right. and you kind of think, really, only forty percent of people actually <laughs> yeah. finish this, and you, yeah. you yeah. do kind of wonder, like, you know, whether that's whether that is bad or good. I, I honestly yeah. don't know because it's, it's it's something that I know publishers have brought up before when talking about 
wanting to make uh, multiplayer components to their games because they've seen, I've mm. heard it countless times, you know, uh, publishers saying that people don't finish games anymore and it's just a thing yeah. that's happened over time. And so uh, it's, you know, especially when you come to a single player game like this, it's... It, yeah. Also, um, anecdotally, you know, I, I use a site called Tree Achievements and they, they mm. run all the analytics to this stuff and there is... Um, yeah. There's definitely a case when a game hits games for gold. That the so the Xbox side of uh, PlayStation Plus, mm-hmm. um, you can see how the percentages drastically suddenly change. drop. Yeah, um, because yeah. obviously a lot of people have just jumped in for the first time, try it for five right, minutes, yeah. have no investment in, they can mm. pay for it, no investment, mm-hmm. and jump back out. Um, yeah. But it's it's not the first time, Joe. We, when we talked about um, was it D four, you know. Yep. few months ago mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah much yeah. similar thing not a particularly long game um but a very few percentage of people that finished it by the end yeah. i mean i think that yeah. was down into single figures so it, it doesn't mm-hmm. always surprise me um sean you mentioned that now the completion rates of games are much much lower i i, I would ask are they or is it just now we know yeah, about it we because we have it. all these ways <laughs> yeah. of tracking it um huh. you know if a PC game in 95 crashed on me, did I stick with it and try and right, find a way yeah. around it or did I sack it off and just huh. call it, you know, done, you know? So yeah, that's interesting. What I will say is just pertinent to this conversation. I think it's, it's buy to buy. Like I think the Metacritic score, everybody would have, um, or you'd hope the reviewers would have played it to the end. It's not a particularly long sure, game. Yeah, um, yeah. The user score doesn't surprise me down to the fact that, you know, people, no. yeah get stuff for free they or, or whatever you know they tend to to maybe you know play it and dip in and dip out i'm, yeah. I'm guilty of that Absolutely. i've got plenty of things i've sure. got for incredibly yeah. cheap on steam but um you know at cranerance we we play everything to the end and i i do i do okay. actually feel this is the kind of game where you do actually need to see the narrative of what yeah, it is that's... play out as a, a rounded piece of entertainment before making a judgment call. Like the, the first so. 20 minutes hour of your experience of this game doesn't represent how this game pans out in its, you know, mm. five hour, mm. I guess. Yeah, um, it's not going to mechanically stands. change, but the story is what this game is exactly. and right. that is exactly, going to feel yeah. a lot more complete naturally by mm-hmm. the end. Yeah, no, I think that's that's fair. Um, this game notably, uh, I think again, the Chinese room kind of have uh, touched in, in this area before of awards um, mm-hmm. and not the usual awards you might think of. Certainly this game, I remember being mentioned on podcasts on websites for mm-hmm. the usual end of year stuff. Um, and it was mentioned for a lot of those but the places it did well, I think, by any stretch is uh, BAFTA's 10 nominations for this game at the BAFTA Video Game Awards. Uh, won three of them for uh, audio achievement, um, music for Jessica Curry, and performer for Merle Dandridge, who is the actor who plays um, Kate Collins, one of the main characters. Um won Tiga Awards from six nominations for Game Audio Network Awards. Again, you can see why that would be a particular place that this game might win big uh, from nine nominations. Yeah. Uh, a Develop Award, which recognises uh, particularly independent development, but uh, five nominations there. And two Emotional Games Awards. And I don't think anyone who's played this and is listening at this point would be surprised that this game was mentioned in Emotional Game Awards. Sure. Uh, three nominations for that. So... Um, this game, it's digital only, so therefore sales figures aren't really an issue because they just aren't available unless the publisher chooses to put them out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but MCV 
the week after this came out last year. Uh, sorry, two <laughs> year before last, it's 2017 now, James. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, they put out basically uh, an article saying that uh, from what they could tell and quote-unquote sources, um, they have, this game would have been number one in, in you know worldwide UK US releases you know mm. that sort of thing, uh, but obviously digital sales weren't around. Um, the other odd place that this uh, this game, or more more uh, appropriately, or I guess specifically, its soundtrack uh, would have appeared in a chart is uh, on Classic FM chart. It was number seven. However, the organisation that runs the classical charts. Uh, in, in the UK, removed it from the Classical Artist Albums chart. It was removed from there, even though it would have been at number one in the charts by a wide margin. Um, and uh, there were some tweets sent around by the Chinese room saying that they felt uh, that was hard done by and that video games were being given short shrift yeah. uh, musically. Yeah, um, I agree with that as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, they don't yeah. want their video, yeah. those newfangled video games, silly in the <laughs> classical charts, do we? Yeah. There, there's a there's a bit of that, and and uh, so the other thing the Chinese room asserted that uh, if it was a film soundtrack, it would not have been removed well, in the way the that question. this one yeah. was, and the chart organizer, the or, the um, official chart organizer um, or company. Uh, refuted that and said that's not the case. Uh, video games and films are treated very similarly, but it's one of those things where for this game, that would have been a big boon to to be at a number one position in a classical mm-hmm. music chart. Um, so yeah, just worth noting that this isn't all that long ago, and mm-hmm. and there was a bit of kind of controversy around that, which is unfortunate because even though this isn't music that I would typically be listening to on any given day, I think the soundtrack is is. Uh, Pretty standout, pretty uh, mm. wonderful in all well, respects. It, well, it earned my soundtrack of the year, so there you go. <laughs> official, the, the official Atkins exactly. uh, <laughs> albums chart. Put that on the box. <laughs> um, if it had we're a not box. Gonna go, if it had a box, yeah, and it's digital box, yeah. Um, so it's, it's about time we got into the, the meat and potatoes of the game. We're not going to go straight into story, but at this point... Let's just say story is on the table. So spoiler warning ahead. We're going to talk about the game. If you haven't played it and it sounds intriguing from what kind of we've compared it to, etc., uh, the game takes like maybe four or five hours yeah, if you're taking your time about. on your first playthrough. Mm-hmm. So especially if you've got it on PlayStation Plus, you might want to go and listen. It might want to go and play first and then come back and listen later. Um, we talked about music charts, and I've already laid my uh, my. Uh, laid my opinions bare, I guess, saying that I really liked the the score. I've typified it here in the notes as classical choral score. I think that's pretty yep. fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you guys feel about music? Kind of open uh, open floor on this. I loved it. Um, yeah? Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, there was, like, when you get the, I suppose, the, I think of the game as having chapters. Well, it sure. kind of does, yeah. doesn't it? So but yeah, when you get to the end points, the music was really I mean, it's beautiful. It's just yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was interesting is because uh, um, I saw London Voices name mentioned on as part of mm. one of, I guess, one of the choral groups. And obviously, I, I, I counted their singing um, recently on the Last Guardian soundtrack as well. So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. Nice. It make, makes one wonder if this is where 
th- those two groups in- interacted <laughs> yeah. first because I can't necessarily think of. I'm, I'm sure I'd be proved wrong if I looked into it, but I can't think of anywhere mm. else they might have appeared in video <clears> games. <throat> so, um, Sean, how about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think for the most part, I, I thought it was a stunning soundtrack. There was, um, I was going to point out the same thing as Jay, where, where every chapter, how they end, how how that manages to yeah. match the um, the emotion of the scene uh, for each ending. I think it's actually pretty impressive. But I do think there were some moments where, so, you know, you'll be walking around and most of the time, or the endings at least, you have to trigger them, you know, with that tilting of the yeah. controller. But, so, you know, most of the time you're walking by and then people just start talking. Things will just start happening. And I would think sometimes that the soundtrack was maybe a little too intense in those moments, like, not every single scene was a big dramatic, you know, intense <laughs> yeah, scene. Okay, and so yeah, sometimes that's... there'd be like this huge orchestral, like, you know, chorus singing behind it. And it's just two people having a chat. And, you know, sometimes I f- there, there very few. It wasn't the majority, mm. but, you know, sometimes mm. I felt like it was just a little too much. But for the most part, yeah, it's just a really impressive uh, effort. Yeah, I, I certainly really liked. Uh, so the end of the first chapter in, yeah. in Yachton, you kind of walk around and... So the the bell of the church starts tolling, so right. that's the mm-hmm. sort of area specific cue. But the music in the background as you're walking up towards the church just mm-hmm. builds and yeah, builds and builds. And it's obviously mm-hmm. uh, proximity based, but it it's yeah, um, and especially because the character that you've been following, um, Father Jeremy, in that first area mm-hmm. is is having multiple concurrent mm-hmm. kind of crises and epiphanies <laughs> yeah, uh, go, yeah. sort of going on uh, and as as you walk into that church as him and you see the crutch kind of discarded on the ground there's that real sense of his faith being renewed by what he's uh experiencing and feeling at that moment and it's mm-hmm. um it's for someone who doesn't consider themselves incredibly spiritual i found that a pretty spiritual experience i've yeah. got to say yeah. Yeah, um, i think the yeah. soundtrack i mean you can look at it as quite ethereal can't you certainly mm-hmm. in that kind of that moment in particular <laughs> that really comes across mm-hmm. but it, it it's it sells the countryside and the kind of joyfulness of the countryside, as well as the kind of maybe slightly dark and spookiness of mm-hmm. you know, the yeah. ethereal nature of, of the happenings on screen. Um, yeah. And yeah. it's a, it's a lovely balance in between. Like Sean says, I think at times maybe it can be a bit, a bit over dramatic. Um, <laughs> one of the tips I got told straight away before playing this game was turn the subtitles on because mm-hmm. yeah. you can quite easily miss conversations just Definitely. if you happen to yeah. pass out of earshot and, and not even realize someone's talking. <laughs> yeah. um, so that was maybe it didn't affect me that much because I'd have the subtitles on, which is something I rarely yeah. do in games ever. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, both beautiful and haunting. Um, it's easy mm-hmm. to say uh, the soundtracks of this game. Speaking of the the kind of sound design aspect, the the other thing about you were talking about the um, the needing the subtitles on because of the voices. Um, it's very uh, location based in mm-hmm. terms of the way they split the sound. So if you happen to kind of walk past and turn away, you might lose what's being said at a given moment just because it's dropped out of your your earphones um, or or your speakers. Mm-hmm. I guess in theory, it certainly might drop to one side. So. Um, so yeah, I think I always play with subtitles on because I'm just that kind of person. <laughs> we'll mm. leave that. I used to play version. inverted as well, so you know, <laughs> I hold my hands up mm-hmm. as, as to be an uh, 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 oddity there, but that's just the way I play and I prefer to watch films and stuff that way. But uh, yeah, I think it makes sense in this, especially when um, a lot of the information you're getting or the clues you're getting as to there being something nearby that you need to take notice of yeah. um, can be 
through ambient sounds and that kind of thing as mm-hmm. well. Um, and so having the subtitles on, prob- I can't think of specific moments where it sort of came up with a, um, a prompt that there was a sound happening that I hadn't noticed. But uh, again, if you're mm-hmm. playing in a room where there may be other noises going on around you rather than with headphones on or something more isolating, uh, useful to have that on. And to, um, to be even more basic, you know, there, there's a, certainly maybe... It's not so different to my ears. I grew up in a kind of a, a area like this, and the voices mm. I could kind of pick out. But I, I'd imagine if you're across a pond or different parts of the, the world, that some of those uh, um, accents may sound very similar to each other, and you'd be quite um, easily kind of confused who's talking to who. And I think you know they, mm. they're very clear mm-hmm. on the fact that you know X person is talking yeah. over X person. Um, yeah, it definitely helps a lot. Easier. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest. <laughs> that, that's that's really interesting here because to me, I thought given that more or less they wanted local community, most of the people are going to be from there or from that area. And I thought they did a pretty good job of getting actors who had a range of different types of voice, Mm -hmm. but were all still kind of believably from there. Obviously, Mm -hmm. uh, Charlie has got um, a a distinctly different accent, but a lot of the other characters are going to... They're all related as well, so you want voices that kind of sound like... They, they would be similar. So, so we, we've talked about uh, the music and, and we've started touching on the sound design. Uh, radio signal is a big part of this. So there are times at which I think quite disorientingly there will be telephones and televisions and radios, mm. particularly radios because the telephones and televisions don't tend to be on or uh, producing sound and, and uh pictures until you've turned them on uh, but the radios are constantly putting out this static and kind of background noise and, and quite disorienting noise I think in some ways um, just because it's clearly a, a distress signal being sent out or some kind of alert being sent out from them mm. um, but all of that stuff again I was saying I, I played a lot of this with headphones on um, and having that split between the the audio channels, um, it was all done, I thought, incredibly well to make sure that you knew relative to where you were currently facing where the sound was coming from and you could kind of track that down. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, but yeah I, I thought all of that was, was done quite well. And the fact that it extends to the voices and shows that the idea is that you should be able to orient yourself by the sound in the game as well was quite good. I can't be the only one as well that old radio signal, old FM, F or maybe MV um, signals uh, doing numerical code is actually really spooky. I've never yeah. liked it in <laughs> oh, films. Yeah. No. Yeah, I especially yeah. don't obviously like it in games. It's just one of those ones where it's old tech giving out yeah. a distress signal and I don't, ah, it, it does get under my skin. I, I, I mm. guess it maybe comes back to my childhood watching stuff like you know Poltergeist on TV or something mm, like that. Mm-hmm. Just you know static hissing sounds and stuff is yeah, is no, definitely yeah, really, <laughs> really gets yeah, so yeah, a game yeah. full of that. Um, and still Especially not really as... understanding what the TV stuff was. <laughs> Every time I turn one on, yeah. I was like, okay, I probably don't need to. Nope. I ended up writing down that code because I thought, oh, that's yeah, got to be a yeah. code for a keypad or something later on, <laughs> uh, thinking in terms of more conventional sort of gameplay right. elements. Yeah. But it yeah. was like, nope, totally waste of time. Well, we no. could spend the next two hours of this podcast discussing how the internet have deciphered that code into something, but... Oh, yeah. Um, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, bless him. Um, mm. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I absolutely agree. There is that notion of if it's music or clear <laughs> like entertainment news talk, that kind of thing, you expect that from a radio. But yeah, when it, especially when the static sometimes overcomes the voice, and so you get this voice sort of creeping out of nowhere mm-hmm, from within mm-hmm. the static, exactly as you're saying. If you look at um, white noise or snow on the TV, yeah. mm-hmm. you because of who we are, because of the way our, our uh, eyes work, mm-hmm. um, and our brain work, we start to try and pick patterns and that's why mm-hmm. you see faces in a piece of toast or yeah. on the TV screen, when it, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it's the same thing, you're with white noise or static, your ears will try and pick out patterns mm-hmm. and pick mm-hmm. out especially a voice because that's one of the most recognisable things to mm. anyone who's able to literally, hear. Literally, uh, you any put person these bugs in my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, like, in particular, when you're chasing the orb, and if you walk mm-hmm. into that, or as you get close to it, yeah, there are yeah. points where you can hear voices that, in the sound design of that. That's interesting because I, I was always wondering if if I was thinking that, like, if I was making that up. So no, you guys think there really yeah. are voices in there? Oh, no, I, I, there I, is. I yeah, I'd say okay. it's in there. There's definitely sound voice files within that sort of makeup okay. of that noise because okay. you you can hear talking. It's really hard to sort of discern what's being said well yeah you I can hear like whispers and so yeah it's it's actually quite Definitely. funny um oh, uh, to not spoil the game a little bit yeah you know, following the orbs around quite often they don't you know sit still long enough for you to kind right, of pick yeah. that stuff out but occasionally it, yeah. when the game kind of comes to a bit of a halt where you're a bit confused of where you may need to be um you can stand like center in inside the mm. orb and that is a quite terrifying experience. I did this uh, <laughs> recently with uh, Wendy's character. She's an old woman. Um, and I hadn't done something, so this all just sat there. And I'm playing this on a nice, you know, 7.1 surround sound system. And her voice is kind of echoing all the way around the room. And I can kind of pick out elements of what she's saying, but it's kind of like somebody's altering it with a, <laughs> a voice kind of tuner and it's mm, slightly mm-hmm. broken and distorted. And I can't work out whether she's in pain or whether she's kind of in a place of light or and mm, to the point yeah. where you know god bless my wife sitting there next to me playing it she went could you please leave that now it is absolutely <laughs> freaking me out <laughs> and it's once again it's that kind of ethereal kind of yeah you know yeah. who are these people it, what is this yeah, place it's and it's, it's ghostly yeah, it's presence impressive. almost isn't it yeah definitely mm-hmm. yeah so definitely voices yeah. in those orbs okay yeah definitely so the other thing about the orbs again it's in the notes later on may as well bring it up now because it's absolutely pertinent is uh in the different chapters of the game the orbs behave differently mm-hmm. um, in terms mm-hmm. of the way they move and the the obviously the way the chapters are split up therefore the most i guess likely certainly the most popular theory that i've read is that the orb represents the person that the chapter is based around and uh, so yeah is it because like so uh, that's <coughs> that's what i thought it was but yeah. then you get to the caravan park mm-hmm. and so it's it, it does come up kate's or it comes up Kate, doesn't it? So you you assume that that's like you know Kate's story, Wendy, Stephen, whatever. It's, it's Liz, Lizzie at the caravan Lizzie, park. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, Kate's the final one in it. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it ends with Rachel and Charlie. Right. Yeah. And yeah. what was weird is that that was the first time I noticed that the the orb was different because there was a little one seemed to be trailing it around. Now, what's funny is is uh, whether it's meant to represent Rachel because Rachel's with a baby. So um, that's the interesting Lizzie is also pregnant at yeah, that Lizzie's point. Pregnant. So that oh, orb okay, is yeah, supposed yeah, to be yeah, her and her baby yeah. potentially. So oh. yeah. Um I I agree. I, I think 
that's not necessarily what the orb represents, mm. but certainly it seems to be evoking the character of the person whose chapter we're, we're getting in on. Um, that, that kind of neatly uh, talking about the, the orbs and the way they look and, and everything brings us on to the, the, the way the game looks. Um, before we do that, uh, so our community are wonderful at providing us some excellent feedback for, for every game we discuss and every issue we've, we've put out and absolutely no different here. So rather than keep it all for the end, what I've done is try to space some of the <laughs> feedback we've had on the forum, uh, which Jay kindly populates with a thread for each upcoming show. Um, so I've spaced some of that feedback out through the game. We had so much of it and some uh, incredibly long excellent but long uh, individual pieces of feedback so I've picked out bits that are pertinent to what we're talking about just to explain that to people who wrote uh, feedback and to anyone else listening if you would like to leave us some thoughts on any of the upcoming games uh, head over to the Kin Rinse forums kinrinse.com forward slash forum and you'll find in there in the podcast game discussions group of threads you'll find threads on upcoming games uh, one person who did that is Alex Maskell, who says, This is a genuinely staggering work of craft. It's a note-perfect evocation of a quiet British town, both in the incredible verisimilitude of the art direction and in the story, with its cast of authentically stuffy, over-involved Shropshire types. It's a bit harsh to people from Shropshire. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, many of the indoor spaces feel jarringly barren, like a collection of show homes. But the general space of Yachton is beautiful and so well designed that the space, the space's affordances to player direction rarely feel contrived or oppressive. At its best moments, it feels more authentic than any other game setting I can think of. Jessica Curry's soundtrack is also gorgeous, a gentle, expressive collection of sombre tracks which occasionally come off manipulative or overbearing in the game itself, but always evoke a controlled, purposefully realised emotional tenor. Between these two factors, the aesthetic experience of wandering through this space is often beautiful and rewarding. Thank you very much, Alex. Um, I think that kicks us off nicely into how this game looks. Jay, how did you feel about um, the way that this Shropshire village was rendered? I think I, I will agree specifically with, with Alex's point, which is I really loved the outdoors on this game. I, I was I was saying to my wife mm. as I was playing it, you know, I think this is one of the best representations of a British of Britishness, if you will. And I've seen <laughs> it in a video game, you know, just the way, it, like there's a, whether it's those little signs you see on for whether it's gas lines or water lines that you see on the side yeah. of a you know near a pavement and stuff. It's those kind of things and the road markings. I said they nailed this. Yeah. The only part that I it, it always pulled me out was when I went into the houses mm. and it was like they were just sparse. I said, you know, go into yeah. somebody's home, there's always photographs and and I and it, in yeah. a way I kind of I'm uh, this this is not really a criticism because I understand, you know, there's an 11 person team, you can only ask so much of them, mm. you know, it's like, you know, yeah. give it another few years whilst you accurately model the interiors and stuff. But there was something about how I would have liked photographs of those characters so mm. to give me more less of a mental picture i mean maybe that's perp you know maybe i don't need i shouldn't need that because mm. they should be characters that you kind of create your own i yeah. you know whatever yeah. your sure. mind's yeah. eyes mm. is imagining these people to look like but it would have been kind of interesting to see photographs of them uh, you try know, and that work kind out of, who's who yeah. and that sort of thing mm. yeah. yeah 
but it's a minor minor gripe. Yeah, no, I would I would totally agree with that actually because another thing is most of the interiors they all kind of look the same. Like I know it's a small town, mm-hmm. so maybe a lot of people there are the same too. But it felt like every time I went inside someone's house, there was nothing very uh, unique or specific to distinctively these theirs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like the only one that actually stands out is when. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, towards the end when you go to Stephen, I guess Stephen and Kate's, uh, it looks like they had just bought that mm. home maybe. Mm. And um, so there's like nothing in there at all. There's like a couple boxes in there. And that one actually stood out because you kind of got the whole story there. Um, but every other house, yeah, it was just, you know, you had a kitchen that all looked the same. They had two <clears throat> bedrooms upstairs. It's, you know, a little repetitious. Yeah. But again, as, as I heard to also agree with Jay that the outdoors is just gorgeous top to bottom. Yeah, yeah. This is my village. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up on a, uh, a, a, I guess a, a little, well, a little village called Crowhurst, um, out in the, the southeast of England. And yeah, it's this kind of the place where I grew up. You know, there's many images there that completely um, tick with me. You know, we we still had um, you know the red telephone boxes and mm, post boxes yeah. and yeah. Um, you know that kind of pub. Um, you know, talking about inside places that are unremarkable. Um, that, that pub to me was, yeah, I feel like I felt like I'd already been in there before. <laughs> um, and just the way that you know the church, you know, not a big church, just a little church, just for that that right, one yeah. community. Um, yeah. yeah, almost yeah. laid out on the similar kind of steps. It's 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 odd. I mean, I, it's been fascinating, obviously, to hear Sean's point of view from somebody from across the pond, like <laughs> you know. But it, even from you know from my point of view, you know, I, we've come a long way since you know. My, my obviously my village is still there. It's not been wiped out by the raptor. Um, <laughs> you know, some might say for good or bad. I, I don't know. <laughs> I may have moved, moved away from that village for reasons. Um, for, but, no, Get it all out, Tony. Yeah, Get it all um, out. <laughs> but you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've modern times. Yeah, but they 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 capture you know the the times. You know, it's set in the eighties, and you know the cars are realistic mm. to that point. You know, I can mm-hmm. pick out like Fiestas. Mm-hmm. They're obviously not officially labeled, but you know they're close enough sure. to, the, to the real thing. Um, and I can pick out that kind of that that time period settings of stuff they've added into the you know the billboards and the pubs mm. and the uh, if you look into the you know, news agent windows and stuff and you know for the for the lack of detail that maybe they put inside some of the, the inside the homes i was always fascinated in the amount of details they put in things like sheds like i'd go around the back mm, mm-hmm. look for a shed yeah. window which they could have kind of put some i don't know film over the shed window like some people do so you don't look in their things but i'd go in there i'd look for these shed windows and see you know some tables some chairs some mm-hmm. lawnmower i mean the effort that someone's gone to yeah. to create you know individual assets for a bunch of sheds outside which they yeah. had no real necessarily to, mm. to do so yeah. um yeah. was was always surprising to me but yeah, for a, for such a small team, um, you know, the Cry engine is obviously an incredibly powerful engine. We we know that, but um, they seem to have you know captured that that both you know in light and tone and uh, visual setting of a you know a, I'll say an idyllic country little village. <laughs> um, yeah, for me anyway. So I, I think the the thing about the interiors is quite interesting because the 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 I, I agree the sparseness didn't bother me so much until you guys mentioned the personal effects that aren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a, there's a, an obvious uh, decision not to put mm. people in this Faces. game because doing that to the sort of photorealism that they do the environments is... I don't I don't know any game that can do that satisfactorily, frankly, sure. given yeah. the standard of the environments. Uh, 
technically. Um, so therefore, you can't really produce a photo with a person in it because, okay, it's not in 3D, but would it really look any more realistic? Um, I think there's also an aspect of this being uh, a fiction that's somewhat like uh, reading a book. And yep, half, totally. half of what yeah. you do in reading a book is build the world yourself. Yeah. They didn't want us to build the worlds, but I think, Jay, you're right. They want us to build the characters and us creating the way they look uh, based on people we might know, especially in someone like Tony's case, who lived in a village and may be able to draw parallels, not just between the way it looks and the way it's structured, mm -hmm. but the sort of people that are there as well. Mm -hmm. um, so to be able to relate them. Yep. Sorry, I actually think that they do know what these people look like because when you get to the final stage, the final moment, you get a more defined silhouette of them because mm -hmm. I could mm -hmm. tell by... Mm -hmm. Frank's story that he wears a hat. <laughs> so yeah. I, was like, yeah. I thought, well, that's they've got to know what he looks like because whoever's yeah. been modeling that has obviously had some kind of reference to sort of model mm. him up. So, oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't doubt that on their wall next to the character sheets or whatever, they had mm. a photo of what this person looks like. Yeah, I yeah. don't doubt that at all. Because um, you'd want that kind of full rounded. Uh, I don't think it's character. entirely bad. You know, I, I think if when I go out to Wendy's you know, house, she's kind of on top of the hill, kind of a busybody, knows everybody. Um, mm. And I feel like she's got that kind of, you know, I, I'm a gardener for a living, so I can kind of, I know people's gardens by their attitudes in life. <laughs> I know that sounds yeah. weird, but that 100% <laughs> no, yeah. plays out. And she's got this perfectly manicured, well-kept kind of, um, I'd say, traditional cottage garden because that's her kind yeah. of character she's slightly yeah. older but if i look at somebody like um frank appleton who's a farmer like his his stuff's just messy there's junk in his in his yard yeah. and whatnot yeah. like mm. you know okay. if you go into yeah. wendy's house she's got chintz on the on the furniture which you know is very <laughs> much a, an older person thing where somebody might not yeah. i just like you say jay i think i think it's mm. that they feel they don't feel lived in because they don't have personal a proper personal effects and definitely yeah yeah i'm i'm you know i hadn't actually put two and two together until you said that jay and now it really it's really bugging it me it stands but, out yeah yeah um, no i'm the same i can complete um, maybe i can understand why that well it's, it's yeah it's just the sense like you particularly the bathrooms you know you go in a bathroom there's there's nothing on the shelves <laughs> yeah. there's nothing there the yeah, yeah, yeah this yeah, is yeah, a bathroom true. i want to see like half you soap on the side or <laughs> yeah. shampoo yeah. things you know and, and you know yeah. that there was and I completely understand, you know, that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort yeah. To, yeah, to put in. Absolutely. And, it, and it, you know, I, I'm making a, it, it feels like it's a far bigger deal than it actually was when I was playing it. It wasn't. <laughs> no, it, but. It, right, yeah. It, it, it's certainly significant because a lot of the places you are finding out about these people, you have to go into their yeah. houses mm -hmm. and you should be able to glean more from these, from the people uh, from the houses rather about the people than than you can so the the one uh, place or the the type of interior that i would disagree is i think the pubs and the church and the the public yeah. spaces so that mm. includes the doctor surgery that includes the lakeside cottages mm -hmm. um the the holiday camp sort of cottages um main hall uh, any any of the public places where you wouldn't expect personal effects they would be more sparse more sanitized those felt great to me yeah. and and mm. yeah I, I agree and it's oddly for a game that i've played multiple times um it it hadn't stood out to me that that was it stood out to me that they weren't there and why they weren't there technically but not that that was why the interiors felt mm -hmm. maybe genuine in how sparse they are and the technologies that are there and that sort mm -hmm. of thing mm -hmm. but 
yeah, there is that aspect missing that makes them feel more like show homes than real homes in some expect, mm. some respects. That, I think that does lend um, a different kind of uncomfortability at walking around these houses. It doesn't feel so much like you're invading personal space, but it feels like stuff's missing. And this yeah. is a game about what's missing, really. It, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's yeah. in the title. It's about people missing, and that's right. obvious from the houses in, in a way that maybe wasn't intended to be that way or was a sort of happy accident, but mm -hmm. I think that works. I could tell you what was missing. Button prompts on screen to tell me when I'm not doing something I should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, so I just want to sort of maybe sort of digress onto the controls or something. But you talk about that first section in the village, which I, you know, for the first time I came there, I loved it. I was like, wow, look at this. This is incredible. And then after the seventh time of walking around it, trying to figure out what the hell I was supposed to do, you know, and I'd literally gone from one end of the map and back twice trying to figure and seeing yeah. all those kind of um, control. So here's the thing. I, by default, don't think of gyro uh, controls right, yeah. with that pad. Yeah. And so I kept seeing these static orbs. Of orbs of light sitting there and I, and you would see the trail particularly with that first section so where the village pond is it's just on the bridge and i would see the trailing orb going back and forth up to the community center and like <laughs> i don't know how many times i went around the community center thinking i've missed something there's got to be a clue here that will trigger the next you know whatever mm -hmm. it is that i'm supposed to trigger i've missed something so i went through that like with a fine tooth comb yeah to the point where I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing with this. And it is now getting to the point where I'm losing patience with it. Like, I yeah, can't course, figure yeah. out what I'm doing wrong. And then I went online and somebody said, tilt the controller. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> and then it clicked. And then yeah. the game went yeah. from being like frustrating to like, oh, wow, it's really good. But <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. but it was such a simple thing. But I was getting, so and I, you know, that's my own obtuseness with the control mm -hmm. thing. And I'm not thinking like yeah. big picture yeah. with it, but I like, I, I genuinely don't use the, if I have an option to turn it off, I turn it off with tilt yeah, control. Absolutely. I don't absolutely agree. instinctively yeah. think of using it. And yeah. when I'm playing, my control is literally sat in my lap, static. I don't move it. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not even looking at the controller. So moving it, mm -hmm. tilting it around is not a thing I that I do. More importantly, I, I never got the reason for doing it. Like, it, it honestly does it feel could have been, a bit shoehorned in to add. Yeah, well, it, can, it can't be done on the PC it. either, yeah. can it? So there <laughs> yeah. obviously was a way around it. Uh, yeah, tilt an analog stick or, or press and hold a button yeah, until it pops. That's what you I was know, doing, yeah. I was literally it, standing in front of this thing, pressing everything. Thinking, what the <laughs> hell am I supposed to do? But it never quite, even when you know what you're doing, it never quite like hits the first time. You kind of move it around. You think, did I go in the right direction? Oh, no, right, no, yeah. no, I did. It just, I didn't go far enough. Did too it far. Yeah. So, it's just one of those, it's just, it's game, we're not game breaking, but it just takes you out of the immersion yeah. experience. Yeah, it's, so it's one of the only on-screen directions. There's, there's no HUD in, in mm. the game at all. There's you know, mm -hmm. there are maps in the game, but not, or in the world, but not in the game. Sure. Uh, you, you can't, you can't plot like that. You don't have waypoints, you don't have button prompts, etc. And uh, you generally don't interact with anything except gates and doors, pretty much, or, and these, these light orbs. Um, so one of the only on-screen prompts is actually the first one of those you get to. It does have a white on-screen DS4 um, mm -hmm. and, and arrows on either side, the kind of typical, but it's only the very first one. So if you've played a first session gone away for 
even just a day, if you stop then, mm. it's possible you either stumbled upon doing it the first time or have just forgotten. And I think mm. that is definitely a problem with with creating a game where you don't want any HUD to get in yeah. the way, yeah. any, any on-screen mm. stuff to get in the way of the player's experience. You run the risk, therefore, you know, that's no waypoints. Mm. That's, you know, for a lot of people, they didn't know there was a run button. And yeah. we'll come on mm. to why it shouldn't really be called a run button in a second. <laughs> uh, but th- they didn't know that was there. And that was something that, wa- as far as I know, was in the game originally. It's just it wasn't you know, on the control scheme. It wasn't totally, it didn't tell you anywhere in the game that it was there. Um, and and kind of aspects like that. And so with the, the orbs, I think what you're supposed to feel like is that you are tuning and that's why oh, you're right, moving yeah. the control pad. It's like you're tuning a radio to mm-hmm. kind of get into the frequency of the light, if you like. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm i not sure why you couldn't have just walked up and pressed yeah. X or whatever on the controller or, or pulled the trigger or something yeah, like that. The, the or just walked, walked yeah. into it. I think, yeah, yeah. It, it, so yeah, I absolutely get that. And, and again, I think that's a design choice they made but speaking of design choices they made regarding controls and movement that i'm sure some of us might take umbrage with um i I put in the show notes run button with quotation marks around it um even with the quotation marks tony you had a problem with me calling it a run button and and yeah i absolutely understand why do you want to talk us through your issues with calling it a run button well i mean i'm not i'm not the only one no no absolutely yeah the pace of the game is slow, and I, I understand, and, and I think actually the Chinese room have, have given a fairly decent explanation why that is, which I'm sure I'll go into. But the pace of the game is slow, um, and there is a run button, but and I think if you go into the menu, you can the controller settings, you can find that it says, but it just says run button, and so you tap it, and you don't know if it's kind of activated it or you hold it right. down, yeah. and the run button is slowly pick up a decent pace button not really run just you <laughs> yeah. know slightly yeah. trot. i'd contend a, decent but yeah, otherwise if, yeah I if agree. you're on a, if you're on a horse you'd call it trot button yeah you know, just slightly <laughs> slightly bit further or can't yeah. <laughs> yeah but not run um but it's fine it, yeah so that so the chinese room's explanation of it is <laughs> that they were concerned right at the very end of production by the sounds of it that as we've already alluded to that people were going if they were just doing as we would know people running around the, the environment were going to miss conversation mm-hmm. strands just by you know yep. the sheer fact that they run past them rather than slowly right, yeah. plod past them um i mean it's a bone of the contention we will hear this in the free word reviews we hear this in in correspondence the game feels slow to some people and mm-hmm. um i think even that even they would say at this point that they got the speed wrong um yeah having played other games of this ilk it doesn't feel that drastically different from anything else I played. So mm-hmm. um, maybe I'm slightly more attuned to it, and maybe uh, so, I was having a good time mm, looking at the stuff around yeah, me that didn't yeah, affect yeah, me yeah. to the degree of others. But for certain other people, for sure, it, it really was um, the lack of a run button or the lack of a at least the run button maybe being the the pace of the game um, yeah, was an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So m- my thoughts on on this and uh, Jay and Sean uh, see what you think about it are I agree it was a deliberate decision uh, I think they did want people to move more slowly than you would even in other um, digital in, interactive environmental <laughs> theatre or whatever we're calling this yeah. even in other other of those games I think this is slower and I, I and I can see that they wanted people not to miss stuff I 
I think once I got out of the first chapter, I pretty much, unless I was looking around for stuff in particular, when I was moving between houses or something like that, mm. and there wasn't something on screen that was an obvious mm. landmark, like a bus stop along the road or something like that, mm. that I should be focusing on, I had the run button held down all the time. And yep. you're absolutely right, Tony. You press it and you think, well, nothing's happened. And it gradually, over the course of like three to five seconds, speeds you up a little bit. But the way I would put it is, once you're at, quote unquote, full speed, that's walking speed in most other first-person <laughs> games. Yeah. And I think the game could still have worked at that speed yeah. or somewhere in between the two or something and with the run button much quicker. Because the other thing you have to do, and again, not everyone's going to do this, but... If you are like Jay and having to run back and forward down the entire road, or if you are like me and you, Tony, and going after some of the more weird uh, trophies in this game, where you have to kind of book it from one end to the other, just picking up radios or something like that, and you want to get through quickly because it's a second playthrough and all you're doing is going through and grabbing radios, you're not, quote-unquote, playing the game. I want to be able to move pretty quickly at Mm -hmm. that point. I don't want to feel like... I'm literally holding forward, holding the run button down, and finding something I, else to look what, at. What I put to you, I mean, was it game breaking? I mean, that, from the, oh, no. from the no. correspondence we no. had, it, it it was game breaking for people, um, mm-hmm. which is a real, <laughs> real shame. That, in some and I respect. think that's why they would say that there was a mistake made there when you get yeah. that much feedback of this game's moving too slow. That's a that's a problem. There, there was a part of me I wondered whether the, there was technical apps. Now, obviously, I've not watched any kind of you know, you're a gamer kind of, what am I thinking of? Um, digital Foundry. That's it. Mm, I've yeah. not watched any Digital Foundry things to find out whether this runs at 60 frames per second or whatever it may be, but there was not. a couple of times, <laughs> there was a couple of times certainly where the frame rate got a little bit choppy. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's a stunning looking game and it's, you know, running on the PS4, it's, it's quite an impressive feat. But I wonder if they <laughs> were maybe just thinking a little bit slower. And then we can make sure that everything's yeah. drawn in the way it should be. It, 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 yeah. it could certainly help deal with like yeah. um, screen tearing and stuff like that, yeah. potentially, I would imagine, yeah. Yeah, for me, the frames per second uh, did uh, occasionally pull me out of the uh, immersion because uh, hmm. you were saying, Tony, it might have been, you couldn't tell if it was 60 or... It's, it's definitely on PS4. It's almost always at least a little under 30. Um, mm. And in tears, it, it, it got real choppy. I don't... It's kind of yeah. weird how like... of in, of all places, like the interiors, like the smaller, the homes, uh, especially when people start talking, it gets really choppy there. But um, yeah, that combined with like how slow you get inside, like I, I couldn't stand really going in, inside any houses. I was I was interested yeah. in seeing, you know, the story that was inside there. But, it, you know, between the way the game ran and between the way you ran as a player, um, it, it did kind of take me out of the experience sometimes. It's interesting, actually, because I mentioned screen tearing and actually thinking about it now, what we're talking about, the turning speed is no different from any other game, really. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's not like Doom turning speed mm-hmm. where no, you're pivoting course, around yeah. like a ballerina or something, you know, but it, it's it's so that ca- screen tearing would be a factor of, of your turning speed sure, um, yeah. more, more than, so we're talking about draw distance and that's, so I guess this is an issue of which is more immersion breaking, yeah. the the frame rate dropping to, I mean, probably not single digits, no, but no, certainly no, no. taking a, a hit. No, like if, a, it's set, it's, pr- if it's set at 30 and even drops, you know, anything that drops below 30, if, if, if you start really to notice. Yeah. You would notice it, yeah. And at 30, you would notice a five, six 
frame uh, drop yeah. per second, you know. Um, and on the other hand, if you want to lock at, say, 30 or... I don't think this game needs 60 frames per second. No, I it's, I no, no. Not if you're moving to this speed anyway. Mm -hmm. So the other end of that would be we'll reduce the draw distance. And sure. I think popping would be the big concern there. Yeah, you want to be able oh, to look off to the windmill or to, you know, that opening screen where uh, the color mm -hmm. sort of fades up, if you like, from mm -hmm. black and white. You, you can see across the valley at that point and you want to be able to see and have it look, you know, including heat haze and stuff to try and, you know, f make, make the fuzzy look realistic nonetheless. Um, Pop-in would probably have have been as problematic as dropping of frame rate and at least with a uh, dropping of frame rate you can still look at something that's something that looks as good as this does i think technical issues and you know walking speed aside i think it, it sells its sense of place pretty damn well as a game yeah um, and they, they need to be applauded for such a small team to produce you know something you know so dramatically looking even if it's you know and and yeah different from you know a, a lot of other types of games we've played um you know leading up to this um it's not certainly not the only one just to have a big opening environment and you know, a, a little kind of small village but i you know i i certainly believed in the, in the place time and place that they, they were trying to sell me so uh before we get on to the story it's worth talking about some of the stuff the the inspiration for this game the one that is mentioned so often I've, i wouldn't even care to to kind of counter anything um, is the archers, which for anyone in Britain, certainly of my Tony and Jay's age and older, they will know what the archers is. I would think um, it's a radio drama. Think radio play, but very much in the kind of soap opera vein, I guess, of long running, lots of characters who come and go over the years, uh, but set in a, a rural English village um and this feels especially because a lot of what you see of the characters or a lot of uh what the characters are is their voice and what they're saying rather than necessarily how they look because they're you know beams of light yeah, they try to sell mm -hmm. sell the stage as well as their voice and r rather than just reading a script yeah. they're trying to sell the scene in itself mm. that makes sense yeah. yeah 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 absolutely um i i think that's a a pretty obvious touchstone it seems from mm -hmm. the feedback especially the three-word reviews that that's that's something that came up for a lot of people i guess also stuff like midsummer murders not the crime aspect of it but that that kind of feel of englishness if you like <laughs> um that kind of countryside mm. and fates and church and that sort of stuff kind of comes through um I, I presume, Sean, that didn't particularly strike you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if it really uh, tickled anything that I remembered. Um, other than, like, I don't know, keeping up appearances or something. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you've got 30 years Mrs. of Archers okay. to catch up on. So you, okay. you know, <laughs> 30, <laughs> 30? More like flaming 67. There we go. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been going a heck of a long time. Yeah, 1950 um, first episode. Oh, pilot episode, 1950. Like, wow. just looking on Wikipedia now, it's like number of episodes, 18,000. Yeah. And it's like, well, screw <laughs> trying to catch up on that backlog then. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I guess in the way the, the soap opera aspect also does evoke 
not obviously directly, not necessarily even in tone, but some of the aspects of long-running British soaps, soaps mm. like Coronation Street or Emmerdale mm. or EastEnders or that sort of thing. Just in terms of the kind of interactions these characters are having, it's all kind of personal, gossipy-type problems mm. and stuff going on, um, aside from the rather fantastical as well. Um, and I guess the fantastical aspect um, is why... The Chinese Room said have said one of their inspirations was uh, British apocalyptic science mm. fiction, and the most I guess the most well known of those probably is going to be Day of the Triffids by John mm. Wyndham. Um, there are there are a lot of others, hence they, they them referring to the genre rather than specific examples necessarily. Um, but yeah, I think all of that comes across in what otherwise is a spiritual successor to Dear Esther and kind of fits in with what we've talked about visually in terms of the sound mm. and everything to give an overall aesthetic that is very reminiscent of um, late 1980s mm. small village, uh, small English village, I guess. Yeah. It's interesting talking about it here. Like when I was when I was playing the game, I wasn't thinking about how how british this game is you know clearly it's it's you know obviously the entire cast except for merle dandridge is uh is british yeah. and and you know it's, it's clearly a british town but you know i think of i'm looking at the words on screen here british apocalypse science fiction and i think about how how like how chatty this uh, apocalypse is you know compared to like an american <laughs> apocalyptic science fiction story where like it's the terminator and you know the world's exploded yeah. and yeah, yeah. go back in time and shoot everything you know so it's it's interesting coming at it from uh, an american point of view and seeing how how quiet an apocalypse could maybe be yeah but <laughs> it's a different take isn't it it's, it's not the mm. apocalypse is totally we, different we, yeah, of course made. not the actual rapture or anything yeah yeah no yeah, but um, yeah. you know, I think a, a lot of the the criticisms were from people would say that the the characters themselves are slightly overwrought. I mean, I I can't help but feel that I I grew up in this village where mm. you know the old lady up the road did know everybody. You know, I had a, a neighbour that yeah. had been mm -hmm. in the village for you know at that, that time for seventy years. Um, yeah, and he knew everybody, and everybody knew him, and mm -hmm. he knew how everybody was born, and and it like mm -hmm. he had an opinion yeah. on everybody. And everything. And, <laughs> everyone's you know, in one another's pockets and everyone's back doors open and yeah, everyone and, just walks in. And, and it's yeah, funny, absolutely. Like, if you listen to the archers, like I, I do understand. You know, I, I occasionally come across the archers when you're tuning through the different channels and you're like, oh, yes, yeah, the archers. <laughs> and then kind of like listen for five minutes, think, I have no idea what's going on because we're no, so far deep into a storyline that it's not for me. But, you know, that stuff is based around some sort of, you know, resonance of truth that happens in small yeah. rural towns. Now, whether it's too much for each individual person to listen to and go, well, why do I care what you know, Wendy thinks of the <clears> village? <throat> mm -hmm. Well, there's two stories to be told here. You know, there's the one of the like, the light, the apocalypse, whatever it may be. Right, yeah. And there's ones that happen you know, years before this event happens that yeah. have characters that are mm. being explored. So eventually, actually, when you come across their stories or, or maybe you've already come across their stories where they've been taken, you're you're more invested in it that you you, yeah. you understand mm. that their histories yeah. and their place in the village and how the struggles that they've had in the village this is how i come across if if you do only play the game for a short period of time and, and you hear that stuff i can see how on the face of it you're like well it's not really interesting but by mm. the end of the game if you've seen that person then disappear in front of you yeah and yeah. 
you feel like you know you're invested in a section of their life however right, it may yeah. only be like a a dozen mm -hmm. or so sentences said across you know four hours a game it has yeah. more of a that that kind of gut punch of wow mm -hmm. rather than the okay i guess that person <laughs> yeah. disappeared and no. i think it can be a bit too archery <laughs> that's not a word <laughs> yeah but i i you know i from a place like this i do understand how they could look at that and go yes and you know maybe coming from a place like this i'm not apologetic by that kind of small town chat you know i i sure, look at yeah. um oh, who is it in particular it's I, I look at Catherine in particular and you know i'm there's there's a there's a line of dialogue and it's not about her being black and it really got to me because I, I remember, um, you know, a, a colored person coming through our small place of Crowhurst and it being the talk of the town for about six weeks. And yeah. they, they literally came to see somebody in the town. Yeah. And, you know, it left this effect on our little community just for a little while. I, I, I will say now that times have, have drastically changed in, in our little place of Crowhurst. But, it, you know, I, hearing little dialogues and snippets like that, it's definitely something that, you know, I do understand where, you know, the Chinese room would have been coming from if they're looking yeah. from a, a point of the 80s. Um, hmm. Even a female yeah. scientist, for God's sake, at that sure. time yeah. would have been well, a, that, a big that, deal. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what Barbara says when she walks up in one mm. of, again, uh, behind the stars at night near the beginning of the game. Um, Father Jeremy is trying to encourage Kate to get more involved in the village. And yeah. uh, Barbara, yeah. the the receptionist, uh, the... the um, the doctor's surgery mm. walks past and um, refers to her as Mrs. Appleton. And of course, Kate yeah. being more independent, being a professional who needed to retain not only her qualification in doctor rather than Mrs., but her own surname because she's yeah. a published mm -hmm. uh, scientist and, and her name is her job essentially yeah, uh, as daft as that sounds, but like an actor would be um, mm. says, actually it's Dr. Collins and Barbara's response is, a female scientist or a woman scientist, I think, whatever just with next. complete disbelief. Yeah. Exactly, whatever next, yeah. Um, and I think it's it's important to realise that even for the eighties, where this is set means that it it's it's a different place to a city in mm -hmm. the eighties. It has it, an isolation and understanding that when this apocalypse comes, the way that all these characters relate to one another is going to matter. Yeah. Um, when you see Amanda sitting in the park, shouting at her boys to behave and stay away from the dead bird that's on the ground, mm -hmm. knowing that previously you've already seen her seen quote unquote and heard her with blood running from her nose knowing yeah. that her kids and husband have disappeared upstairs yeah. um <laughs> that's important you you need to know how these villages work and yeah. what the little backstories and the little um long-running feuds and uh the cliques and all that sort of stuff are the best way to describe yeah. it I guess. that's what i really loved about it is the way that as you listen to these conversations you mm. you it kind of unveils it's a jigsaw. Like You're piecing it. Yeah, yeah, the backstory, yeah. the puzzle of piecing, mm -hmm. yeah. like the interrelationships between the characters. You know, the Lizzie and Stevens affair, and how mm -hmm. everybody knew about it, yeah. and, and was kind of, you know, <laughs> Frank having a little chat with her while she's trying to fix a car and stuff. I loved yeah. the way that all that stuff worked. I thought this is, in a way, when I was playing it, I thought, you know, with a lot of games, like you could look at it in Uncharted Four, and you can see how that can translate to film and vice versa. You know, but mm -hmm. with this game. 
Yeah. It, this is what I felt. This is where video games excel in the terms of the way they can deliver a story in, a, in an interactive manner like this that mm. nothing else can really do. Yeah. Like, like it just felt like the way in which you can, you get it in a very de dependent on, because here's the thing, like you, you talk about that scene with Barbara and the, uh, and, uh, and, Kate and, and, and Jeremy, yeah, 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 it, yeah. Well, I didn't see that till on the way back mm. <laughs> because mm. of the way that I there's a loop earlier. in the village at that point, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I, I took me that long to figure out the controllers, so it's like when I came <laughs> back, then it kind of triggered everybody else's all those like the scene with yeah. the kids in the park and stuff. I yeah. didn't see that till like this, on the way back to mm. the end, but it started, it all came together, you know. And I thought mm. this is and yeah. the fact that it worked even in a sort of disjointed manner in which mm -hmm. I, I sort of unveiled everything. I thought that's, that's really good because yeah. you still remember all the pieces and you just piece yeah. it all together yeah. by the end. And the thing that impresses me so much about this story is how like the rapture or, you know, the disappearance and, and the pattern and all this, that's all kind of like the thing that immediately attracts you to the story or may, or mostly attracts like a buyer you know wanting to know figure out the mystery of why everyone's disappearing but as you play the game and as you get towards the end you, you realize that like this game is really just about the people in this town and mm. their relationships with each other yeah. not how they disappeared it's more about what they were going through right before they disappeared and how it's yeah. a much more yeah. human way of looking at the end of the world which is a really fascinating thing to me especially in a yeah. medium where any kind of apocalyptic game is about you surviving or, you know, uh, or, or saving the world or, or something. Saving, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. This is just about the relationships people have with each other. And that's and, a really cool way to look at it. And that's what gives it. It's also it's spooky nature. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. You know, yeah. it's seeing yeah. these characters and, and experiencing in some respects, their deaths around them. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, yep. it's, not every character has their own chapter, um, and it's a right, shame yeah. in some respects because I would like to have you know known how every single person yeah. in this village died. Yeah. But I understand mm -hmm. for pacing and time why they didn't. Mm. But sure. you know the the doctor, for instance, you know yeah. I, mm -hmm. you know his story. Uh, it, you know I've played it a couple of times now and come across his scene in the car, where he basically in a kind of a, a doctor language explains what he's experiencing from his patients. And indeed himself, yeah. and ultimately mm -hmm. explaining his death in the car of how he's mm -hmm. being, you know, consumed. Talks by. about his symptoms, the progression. Yeah, yeah, yeah this absolutely. Yeah. This, you know, blood clots, but this isn't what it would be. I can only identify as this, you know, aspects yeah. of light in my blood. Um, I believe <laughs> I am going to die, and I, you know, I am hemorrhaging, and. Mm -hmm. Intracranial hypertension, I believe. Yes, says, right? <laughs> absolutely kicks, you know, yeah. kicks me every time I see it, yeah. and yeah. you know, I I find it interesting, and I'm I'm not going to rail on people here at all, but you know, I'm I've read a number of posts, you know, a number of posts that you know we could read out right now, but you know, talk about the story being incredibly boring, incredibly dull, nothing to see, mm. nothing mm -hmm. to to listen to, no mm. hooks at all, and I and I feel like what did did they walk out the first area, just turn back around and turn the game off. Because just from that first phone box where you've got the you know, numerical you know, numbers being read out, like, okay, mm -hmm. well, I don't yeah. know what that's about. Incredibly, you know, even talking about that, that first play, first um, piece sentence you see is um, Stephen talking about having to bring the airstrikes in. Um, mm -hmm. And you have no idea, obviously, what it connects to. And the second time you play it, and of course, it, everything starts to fit together as a grander piece of puzzle. And you, know, you can remember that from your first time, but... 
there's hooks all over and, and maybe that the initial well i don't want to know about this small town folk people mm-hmm. but the you know the light aspect the fact that you know how it's communicating how it's you know taken over the village how it's essentially taken over the mm. world and you know and the rapture the apocalypse whether it be yeah. light or whether it'll be um some sort of um religious aspects i i found yeah. that stuff as every single one of those is this little hook where i wanted to continue on and, yeah. and see that stuff and i'm i am quite surprised that there's been enough people saying there that that stuff just didn't get on top of them didn't hook him in didn't, yeah. they didn't want to find out more uh, i'm curious if it could be related to the way the story is delivered to you like me as 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 someone who's played a lot of first person games like i haven't previously attached to many um like silent protagonist environmental storytelling kind of stuff you know like half-life or dishonored stuff like that where you know the, the story's told by you just happening upon things and I'm, yeah. I'm i'm more you know my style is more you know naughty dog uh you know Gears like, of war yeah. like yeah mm-hmm. you know there's cut scenes you know i mean as as i know i know people think that's dumber or whatever and um, but would you not class these just, as cutscenes anyway? The, the beans of light. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But the, see, that's the thing. Like for me, I, it's something about the way the story is told. I think maybe through the voice acting and the script, like that's what actually hooked me on this game story. But I wonder if a lot of people who just don't really get on with um, stories that aren't like directly told to you, like like me normally, um, I wonder if that's maybe why a lot of people. Uh, we're just turned off, you know. They, it they is maybe wanted a more straightforward story. It is funny because something like Dear Esther, which is incredibly, you know, make make your mind up about the environmental stuff that's happening, and even mm-hmm. yeah. Gone Home, mm-hmm. where you know there's a story to be told in the literature that you're reading, mm-hmm. um, a lot more environmental, you know, clues in, in the books that are around the house, the TV shows that have been on, um, mm-hmm. where this game is a lot more you know explicit in its tale to be told and yes there's certain you know more flighty kind of aspects of of not knowing what the light is yeah it is and how it's actually infected and where it's come from etc but i i feel like there there's a more rounded story in in a kind of i call it a walking simulator without really wanting to call it that but (laughs) in in that type of genre of game there seems to be more story to be had here people that aren't used yeah. to that now james obviously dear Esther is one of your favorite games so hmm. you know i'll let you bounce but, but there, back there's into no, the show no but, but there's there's absolutely no doubt that in that one the story is only really there like a poem it's only really there if you interpret it to be there mm-hmm. um i i spent a lot of the time i was playing dear Esther, uh pulling my phone out and working out what some of the stuff written on walls was. That was Mm. entirely my option to do. Whereas in this game, you're absolutely right, Tony, in order to trigger the ending, i.e. complete the game, you have to have seen a certain number of these interactions and the conversations. That means to a certain extent, you have to have been given um, a certain amount of story. Now, part of the I think part of the difference between this and a um, a cutscene heavy game of the type that Sean's talking about is mm-hmm. you are going to receive those cutscenes in in a game like Uncharted in a certain order. Yeah. They may be chronologically uh, pulling you back in time or pushing you 
uh, forward in time or, or whatever. They may still juggle things up, but there is going to be a specific narrative uh, chronology that you're going to experience those cutscenes in. Whereas yeah. in this case, uh, as Jay said, one of the earliest cuts, one of the earliest quote unquote cutscenes or audio diaries or whatever we're calling them. Um, he didn't experience until way later in the game. Yeah. And that yeah. means there's a need to, uh, there's a need to want to focus, as you said, Tony, on the social interactions and piece together the lives of the people yeah. Yeah. in order to be able to kind of work out what's going on in terms of the apocalyptic event, as it's being called. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a very different thing. And um, it f- weirdly to me, it feels more like a book yeah, but having said that, obviously in a book you're reading it in a in a prescribed order as mm-hmm. well, so that's not even right necessarily. Um, it is more like looking around an environment, and each person's going to pick up on different things at different times. Even when you're seeing some of, even when you've completed this game uh, a dozen times, you may still have a very different reading on what the story is from another person who's completed it a dozen times or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not all going to take away the same things. We don't all react to the characters in the same way. Whereas with an Uncharted, I think it's fair to say, you're all kind of supposed to like Nathan Drake. He's supposed to be a likable guy. <laughs> not many, not many people for reasons other than him being a mass murderer are going to take <laughs> issue with him as a character. He's supposed to be a lovable rogue, you know? Yeah. Whereas in, in this, Tony, you being able to equate some of the people in this to people you've known might be very different from someone who's lived in a city and is looking at these people thinking, why are you worried about any of this stuff? It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't, but in the microcosm of a small village, it very much matters. Yeah. Um, because uh, as you mentioned, I think, Tony, you don't f- uh, finding out about an affair isn't this on the front of page of a newspaper. Everyone finds out big shock. People know because they all live in one another's back pockets. You find out stuff, you get whispers, it grows. No one's surprised by this information, but that doesn't mean it's not important and significant in the lives of these people. You know, it's it's really weird and fascinating, I I think, um, as a a method of storytelling. Um, But just quickly to say, we've had another piece of community feedback that's particularly pertinent right now uh, from Chopper, um, again on forums who says, this game is a personal bet noir for me. I'm absolutely the target audience, but remain flabbergasted at the utter failure of the game to engage me in any way at all. The setting is nice and completely wasted by offering traversal at two miles per hour from one dull story event to another. Feel like exploring? Don't bother as there's nothing to find. The external environments, though pretty, are let down by the internal ones where you stumble from grey room to grey room. Found an interesting looking side path. There's absolutely no reason to take it. The plot and the story were horrible and the ending was terrible. I'll be interested to hear if anybody thought this aspect of the game was rewarding. (laughs) There's a trophy in the game for walking backward 50 paces. That about sums up the level of excitement. Um, I thought that worthwhile putting in here because as we've been saying... Some of this stuff worked for us. Some of it didn't. Mm-hmm. We mentioned, yeah. you know, interiors versus yeah. exteriors, and whether or not the kind of social gossipy nitty gritty of the character story mm-hmm. uh, worked for us. And it feels like more or less it it did. It, it interested us yeah, in some ways, I, at least. Yeah, I, I, I mean, for me, the story was like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, you start off mm. putting pieces together, and you've no idea what it's going to look like. You know, you're kind of wondering what the picture is at the end, and it's only when you put the final piece in and that. Is like get to the end of the thing that the the the, the, the sort of the big picture is unveiled, mm. and that's what mm. I kind of liked about it. And it didn't, yeah, you yeah. know, it didn't 
similar to a jigsaw, it didn't matter how you approached it, as long as by the end of it, you've got all the pieces. Mm -hmm. And yeah. at that point, you yeah. know, I, I, I think there is, I was rewarded out of the experience for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it might not be for everybody's cup of tea. I mean, it, there, yeah. there's a strangeness yeah. with this game in that it, it there's a very much a required patience for yeah, it as well. Absolutely. And I'm not saying that that's like specific in terms of people who disregarded it or didn't like it were impatient, yeah. but more than any other game I can think of, it requires you to sit and watch these sequences. Mm -hmm. But you can walk past them and just, yeah. oh, another one, yeah. see ya. <laughs> <laughs> but you're missing everything about what the game is to me. And you can't, you know, you had to sort of sit there and watch these things play mm -hmm. out. And, you know, it meant that there was a lot of moments where you're not doing anything. You are literally just observing. Yeah. Which you are in the game anyway, because you say like silent protagonist. It's a weird thing that I didn't even like, know what, who even if I you? was a person in <laughs> yeah. this game, whether it's just yeah. I'm a floating camera. I'm just a, whatever. I don't even know what I am in the game. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. I think for me, yeah. the, the, the most common theory that I can make sense in my head is that you, uh, you are the pattern at the end like you're yeah. you're going yeah. back through the town now that it's entirely empty um so you're just observing all the things that were there before you got there i guess technically mm. on the one hand would it really matter what you were no i suppose no, 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 obviously just... that that's me just playing devil's advocate sure yeah of, of course you want to know who you are in a game you you're playing ostensibly a character even if you're not yeah. um affecting the world even if you've not got a personal stake your, your personal stake is disseminated to the people in front of you rather than internalized mm -hmm. as as a, a protagonist in the game um but i think there is an argument to be made based on the ending um that yeah you're the pattern but that also means you're um, something else as as well but we'll, yeah, we'll get on why to did anyway. you open gates and open doors right and, and knock on doors <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um so uh, we've kind of talked about what we thought of the way the story was presented. Um, I think it's worth getting on to actually what the story meant to us in terms of the, the event, what it is, the, the, the main, I've seen it referred to, capital S story rather than the, the individual mm. character stuff. We need to talk about what we think happened and what the ending represented because that's a big part of what this game is uh, and probably will, will make a massive difference in how we appreciated or didn't appreciate the game. Um, Alex79UK on the forums uh, popped a post up and says, I have just spent the day in Yawton, a small village set in the picturesque countryside of Shropshire. It was a strange place to be, and I'll tell you why. Upon reaching the edge of the village, I noticed a complete lack of inhabitants. The more I searched, the more they weren't there. The bits and pieces lying around made it appear as though they'd all left in rather a hurry. The strangest thing happened as I explored the streets and houses. Every so often I'd catch what can only be described as an echo of things that had been before. Snippets of conversations which, when pieced together, provided me with the information I needed to learn about their lives. The more I learned about the villagers' lives, the more I wanted to learn, and by the end of my visit I was totally invested in these people. They felt like old friends. Strange things were certainly afoot in this area. Where had everybody gone? Why was the village in quarantine? Why were the radios playing back mysterious messages to the listener? Where was this hauntingly melancholic choral score coming from? I continued my investigation by following a curious yellow light, the source of which I cannot say for sure, but it was revealed to me that some sort of celestial force was here and it was not to be trifled with. 
From what I can make out, the light came down from the sky and whilst trying to break free and find a way to escape the confines of the village, began to infect the residents. Bits of story here, whispers there, it all started to fall into place. These people did not leave. They were taken. As I neared the end of my journey, I found myself standing in the observatory towers, witnessing with my own eyes the grand spectacle of the starborn light. I stared right into the heart of the rapture, and although I couldn't fully understand it, I did not feel afraid, and I knew that it was beautiful. So, what did everyone think happened? <laughs> I, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if it needs to... I mean, I didn't feel the need to have a, a clear picture in terms... I like yeah. stories where there's a vagueness to it, and it's and you're left yep. scratching your head in a certain way. It, yeah. it makes sense on within the level of the story, but I didn't really feel the need to to have to sort of like work it out in my head. Yeah. It was more about just the feeling of the game and the the mm. way I was just fascinated with the way it told the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I did enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that I, I felt it was bad, it badly written in any way, shape or form. I thought it was excellent in that regard, but for me, it's the mysteriousness of it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's clear. I mean, I'm a true believer that, yeah, there is definitely life out there somewhere in the, in the, in the universe as we know it, but it doesn't ever have to take form in what we know as human beings. Like it, so I, I like that aspect. I think where it becomes quite hard because you know, I'm an atheist at heart um, and the game does play, you know, with the with the uh, the theories that it could be um, some form of God um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or deity, whatever it may be. Um, and, you know, I, like I say, I'm not a religious person, but there is certain scenes, um, you know, Jeremy in the church, for yeah. one, being taken by uh, either this light to his doom or this light to his salvation, and mm -hmm. I, you, you get the feeling that everybody's story ends up in a place where they would want to be, or if they would like to be remembering. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, whether that be good or bad, even from the outside, it's you know, it's seeing you know Wendy, you know, finding solace. To, was it she finds her husband? Is that where it well, is? Well, she she remembers um, when yeah, he as, returned home from the war. Exactly. Think, so yeah. it's not even you know yeah. she sees him in the light and they rejoin hands. It's you know she ends up at a place that is maybe one of the happiest places right, that yeah. she remembers. Um, so moments, yeah. If this yeah. light was just killing indiscriminately, trying to find you know one host to the next to get to the place, then why would it have that effect? And I think that's the thing yeah. that gets me the most. It's not you know an alien form comes from this light source, and I find that stuff fascinating itself. So that's one hook for me. It's the, the next hook of, well, yes, I understand why birds would drop out of the sky because could, that couldn't find a way. And I love the idea that it goes into the telephone lines and they don't mm -hmm. have enough time to stop it and it starts dialing out. And yeah, hence, yeah. I mean, so even in the 80s, the, the, the methodology to get around the world via our own communications is, you know, proper science fiction yeah, stuff, yeah. brilliant. Right, yeah. But I, I, I ne I've never quite got my head around human aspect of why you know these people and people are saying that you can see like pools of dust around where supposedly people have been vanished i've looked i can't um you know i'd love to think that maybe everybody just evaporated into thin air and i think one of the most beautiful things for me is the the two ways that you can look at it as well from from jeremy's point of view where it's this thing that he just he looks at like it this is destroying the neighborhood like you've you know telling Catherine she's not been outside she doesn't understand and you've got Catherine the complete opposite 
almost becoming a one with the thing that she has let upon this world. Yeah. I mean, the, you can talk about the end of the game where maybe she becomes, you know, the single, <laughs> the single entity that is left in this world because she was first contact. And mm. it's weird to start to investigate that stuff. But the two takes of pure panic, we need to destroy this versus Catherine's, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, mm -hmm. that this is the place, this is the life. I'm at peace. Everybody will be at peace. Yeah. And to see that kind of play out in a small town village. And I, and I think that's where the importance of that area comes from. It's not this you know, great big city where there's panic and cars smashing into each other. It's yeah. an odd person starts to disappear over a, right. you know, a number of hours. Um, you know, the investigation party, then people start bleeding from their noses and that has you know, an effect, but it's not such a chaotic effect that, you know, it's caused yeah. mass hysteria it's just people were thinking they're going down with colds to the point where you know people do disappear and i think it's mm. it's important to see that stuff play out over the entirety of the game because mm. you get the feeling that it was over a, you know a number of hours if you know even if it was maybe you know just two days it's certainly i i got the aspect tony you mentioned that um people as they are absorbed into this light they have accepted what's going to happen yeah. and they have been returned to a happy or satisfied moment in their life and part of the reason we need the the individual stories is to see how much the way that tr people treat one another is a factor of how unhappy they are right, yeah. with their lot in life and if if we could all exist uh, for eternity at the happiest point of our life as we have known it now, mm -hmm. would we accept that or would we believe but, there is going to be a happier moment it's to come? The yeah. juxtaposition of someone like a man mm -hmm. that went and a children and a husband going upstairs with nosebleeds and never returning six hours later and she's on the couch crying sure. her heart out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. As, a, as a father, I could, you know, it, that stuff really kind of resonated with me, the, sure. the idea mm -hmm. of yeah. you know losing your family and being so scared to even leave the yeah. seat. You know, yeah. And, yeah. and it's, a, oh, it's a beautiful scene. Mm -hmm. um you know jeremy taking her upstairs and you presumably to find her children no longer there right um, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah there's definitely an aspect i think of it focusing on especially the kind of six main characters we see and we see the rounded or the the arc that they all have in terms mm -hmm. of accepting where they're at and what's happening uh especially Stephen, obviously where he's so dead set and so far from acceptance right up until the point where he sees Kate uh, or Catherine coming out of the light to him just as he's about to light himself on fire to escape it. Yeah. Um, and I th I, so my reading is we have to accept that we were given more of those six character stories than we were with everyone else's. Yeah. Yeah. And had, had Amanda been the focus, we would have seen why she accepted what had happened, even if it was just to be with her kids again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we might have seen more of the mechanism that puts her back at the happiest point of her life. I like, I like the idea. I like the idea that stuff's left open to interpretation mm -hmm. anyway. Definitely. It's like, yeah. you know, yeah. makes it more uh, interesting. So I, I guess uh, a, a kind of neat way to sum that up, uh, Tony specifically, I think you've talked about whether this is God or a godlike being or aliens and, I think the neat thing about it is both interpretations hold water uh, to mm -hmm. a certain extent. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't oh. challenge or or chide or attempt to dissuade anyone from either interpretation. Uh, my kind of takeaway is um, much in the same way that people would say, "Well, magic is just science we don't understand yet," or um, any any quote unquote miracle uh, in a religious context. 
may have happened. It's just we don't understand how it happened yet, but that understanding may be out there. It may be that it's completely beyond our understanding, and so it will always seem like magic or uh, God or miracle. So another way to look at it is whether someone thinks the light is is God taking people to the rapture in the very religious sort of way, um, or aliens reaching out to humanity who have just been able to look at and perceive in the smallest way what this alien is um those things are are equal they, they could they they could be one and the same and and just be different pers- perspectives on exactly the same events in in the way that people draw different conclusions so i, I do love on the theories where you know if it be an alien they don't know that mm. they're, they're hurting people they're just reaching out yeah, and trying sure. trying to communicate yeah. Yeah. i mean um yeah. so oh, what's her name now so Catherine um, is the one that they they eventually managed to communicate in a, a almost saying a literal way, some kind of dialogue. Mm. But of course, if it is an alien, it 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 doesn't know our languages at all. Why would it? Sure. Um, so yeah. it's mm. it's embrace of trying to communicate is entirely different from ours, and yeah. it will end up in the death of our species, but not in a way that it was maybe trying to go out and hurt us. Um, yeah. 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 Some really deep stuff to, to, no, to de- certainly kind of Yeah, there's definitely lots of different readings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one way or another, we've kind of covered as much of the story as we're going to be able to represent. We can yeah. talk about our own experiences, but ultimately everyone's going to have a different take. So uh, here are two such takes uh, from the forums. Uh, Good Shrewsbury, fittingly, um, says... Being introduced to Yachten by All the Earth is Lovely, and the game world that I have been transported to and have started to make my way through is viscerally grabbing with its lush visuals and ambient sound. However, the pace is feeling a bit laboured, and I'm reminded that the game was free. So if it starts to drag and I happen to bounce off it, it's alright, I didn't pay for it. While I'm still near the start of the journey, I come upon a residence, Three Shepherds Walk, with the door ajar. Naturally, my curiosity pushes me through the front door, and as I pass over the threshold, a voice behind me announces their arrival as well. I step aside, and the silhouette of Father Jeremy Wheeler makes his way into the home and is calling out to Amanda, who he finds quietly weeping on the couch in the living room. As Father Jeremy sits on the couch beside Amanda to comfort her, I stand on the opposite side of the coffee table, watching the exchange between the two distinct spirals of humanoid light. Through tear-soaked sobs and failing speech, she explains to Jeremy that her children were feeling ill and then began having nosebleeds. Shortly thereafter, she and her husband Neil also became affected, so the children and Neil went upstairs to rest hours ago, but have yet to come back down. Amanda tells the father that she is afraid of what she might find if she goes to wake them, so Father Jeremy offers to hold her hand while they both go and see what has become of Amanda's family upstairs. As the two spirals of light start to ascend the staircase, they begin to dissipate. And just before they're gone, Father Jeremy reticently calls up to Neil. There's no response. Now I'm standing by the threshold alone with a lump in my throat. I said, screw it, I'm buying this on PC. It was $10 in the Steam sale and so worth it. I've played that conversation three times and it's so well done, it gets me each time. I think that echoes strongly what we've said about that particular exchange uh, as as well as other aspects yeah, of it makes game. it sound like we've only focused on that one exchange but there are many exchanges like that throughout the game it's just yeah. that's mm-hmm. one that's early yeah, on that's and therefore i guess sticks with mm. with people uh, quite strongly um the the 
Lakeside Holiday Camp was kind of full of exchanges mm-hmm. like that for me. I've got to say that was uh, as much as the ending, quite an emotional part of the game, given you're talking about uh, people who are looking to break away from their current life and start new life and, and you know, uh, the pulls of family and loyalties and all that sort of stuff. It's uh, a really strong part of the game, I thought. Another correspondent, Andrew Brown, says, Yotun's pub, the stars at night, has a sign hanging by the door. Closed until further notice. We've got the flu. George and Helen Gables. I'll never meet these characters, but I already feel like I know something about them as they direct their customers to a friendly competitor. (laughs) But the door to the pub is unlocked, and letting myself inside, the pub doesn't appear to be closed. Beer bottles are strewn over every tabletop, cigarettes still burn in the ashtrays, and a half-finished game of darts hangs on one wall. It's as though everyone present suddenly vanished during their patronage of a pub that should have been closed. The setting is chronologically confused, as though the player character is viewing one setting from multiple points of time at once. As I'm a linear creature, I'm forced to experience and comprehend this alinearity in a linear fashion, lending a sense of the uncanny to the setting that spreads across Shropshire. Rapture's fantastic sound design also lends to this sense of chronological confusion. As I wander through Shropshire, I encounter strange, apparently sourceless sounds mixing with the ambient noise and choral soundtrack. As I follow the echoes and learn more about the people they represent, the sources of these sounds present themselves. The best example that stands out to me is Frank, who lost his wife to a slow death and couldn't face her final moment, choosing to spend it drowning his sorrows at the stars at night. When I wander too close to Frank's echo, I can hear the beeping of his wife's heart monitor, the memory of it still haunting whatever fragment of Frank is left wandering this world. While I appreciate the clear, episodic nature of Rapture, in spite of its apparent sandbox nature, I am unconvinced that each character is essential to the overall story. If Rapture is about the pattern arriving on Earth and the character's subsequent efforts to understand and deal with it, then every chapter but the last two is irrelevant. If it's about the citizens of Shropshire's final moments on Earth before being consumed by the pattern, then Kate's chapter is irrelevant to an aggressively disconcerting level. Seemingly desperate to put a last-minute positive spin on what should have been left alone as a terribly depressing and mysterious climax. I'm forced to resort to Isaac Asimov, who published an article titled Social Science Fiction in Modern Science Fiction, that describes the three types of science fiction stories. The gadget story, which is about an invention. The adventure story, where an invention is used as part of the resolution to some other problem. And the social story, which is how about how the invention changes the world. For the purposes of the rapture, the invention is clearly the pattern. So the story must be about the way it affects what we see of the world. Most meet their end, whatever that may mean, in ignorance, some seeking refuge in their faith, others in their loved ones, yet others desperate until the last minute to stop it, still others embracing the change and believing in the best. The disjointed, unfocused story is a necessary casualty of the achronological storytelling. So there we go. Thank you very much to all of the correspondence we've read out. Um, We've discussed vaguely our takes on the ending I think we've certainly discussed the fact that the whole story and the ending is open to interpretation mm-hmm. um, it's worth saying that we've mentioned there are coded numbers in the radio broadcasts uh, on, on the telephones that you pick up etc as well um, I think at least one of them's been decoded yeah. as the answers are all here the answers are in the light um, for the for the most part these are simple um 
alphanumeric switch codes. So uh, very typical A equals one, B equals two type yeah. stuff. Um, and the final one at the end is actually a quote from Douglas Hofstadter's I Am a Strange Loop that talks about ba- what it is to be human. Um, there's a there's a lot of uh, Reddit threads and um, posts, one I found on Lazy Gamer, um, basically discussing what these codes mean, what they are, uh, and you can find out more about that there, and I would strongly suggest th- that you do. Um Okay, we have some three-word reviews. Uh, lots of three-word reviews, actually. Um, thank you very much. As always, tweet goes out on the day of recording. At uh, Kanan Rince is the Twitter handle, so look out for that, asking for what you thought of the game in three nice, neat uh, words. So we're going to run through these. Tony, would you like to start us off? Uh, Chopper, music was nice. Alex79UK says, I hear planes. Uh, Chris O'Regan. Beautiful 1980s horror. Andrew Brown, Lightmares and Soundscapes. Socioli Tony, Seeking the Lights. Uh, Crazy Eyes Dave says, Sci-Fi Interactive Archers. Jim Larson, Into the Light. Uh, Gary Bloor, Ambridge's Cosmic Calamity. Patrick Smith, Beautiful, Unexpectedly Boring. Peter Cleaves. Beautiful, but dull. Simon Cole, Wyndham the Game. Stephen Thompson-Jones says, quintessentially British ramble. Davies Rushy, stop, look, listen. Linda Thompson-Jones, melancholic starlit pathways. Glenn Watts, one chapter over long. Adderblack39, archers on acid. Alex Collins, need more cardio. I <laughs> <laughs> love that. <clears throat> Trinatron, it's just walking? Spencer Saunders, those poor people. Tracy McGarrigan says, eerie choral ramble. Stan Shell, the light fantastic. Rasters 10, beautiful emotional masterpiece. Jay Malgram, where is everybody? Mr. Turch says, thank you very much for this one. <laughs> Sound of play. <laughs> he wins. Uh, uh, Zoe Hardwood, what is happening? Luke Cage, H for H. Enchanting, traversal, infuriating. Alan Stock, sinister light simulator. Uh, Good Shrewsbury, who we heard from uh, just earlier, says, the event, 607. Go for rainbow. And we... In England. All right. Uh, I kind of hedged my bets on an order for this summary, and I think it's, it's probably worth sticking with it, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> as Leon always says, we, we try to end with the most positive of us last. Uh, I don't like to put myself last because I don't feel like I ought to have, when I'm hosting, I should say, because um, I don't like to have the final word, but I think I'm probably going to be the most positive, so we'll, we'll go with this. Uh, Tony, your thoughts on Everybody's Gone to the Rapture? I, I found this game... Very enchanting. Um, I don't think I stepped into it entirely understanding what I was um, literally walking into. Um, I I got grabbed quite early on. I, I find the, the environment to be something that I'm very familiar with, and maybe that helped me with the transition of the everyday life stories playing out. But I, I do generally think that 
the the archer's story that was presented to to us was an interesting um look into everyday you know suburban life um or country life um and yeah that was my original hook you obviously have the events of um the rapture whatever it may be was the second hook and it's the hooks that wouldn't let me go um unlike others have talked about that found that stuff you know not as enchanting as i did it was the stuff that pulled me through the game it was the the reasons that i didn't mind the slow walking pace i was slowly working my way through every single house in the village anyway so you know the fact that it was you know seemingly quite a slow pace didn't you know get under my skin as much as the story did um i found both the sound design the art designed you know <laughs> encapturating um and i you know I, I don't know all the answers i've gone searching for the answers i don't think anybody mm. knows all the answers but i found mm. that that quest in itself um rewarding as well so um i just think it's an incredibly beautiful game um i would understand it's not for everybody but for me um and playing it on the couch with my wife discussing what we think's happening um seeing some of the stuff that's almost religious other stuff that is heartbreaking um really kind of got under my skin and um yeah. yeah i i thoroughly thoroughly love this game um what can more can i say than that it's hugely recommended by me and uh hopefully you would have picked it up on playstation plus as and when it was uh, uh you know free if not then i i think it's worth your money so yeah complete thumbs up from me excellent thank you very very much uh sean would you like to tell us what you think next you know much like the the pattern visiting Yachton, I felt very alien myself being an American <laughs> city boy visiting a small town such as Yachton. You know, we have we have small towns over here, obviously, but um, uh, it's very different, I think, <laughs> uh, compared to, to what we see and everybody's gone to the rapture. And in discovering this town, I um, really found myself drawn to the human stories that were on display here um the overall story of the rapture was was or the disappearance i should say uh was interesting but it, it wasn't what uh kept me going throughout the game and i think i think honestly i wish we kind of had more time to uh talk about the voice acting um i think hmm. everybody was incredible in this game as far as uh, the voice acting goes and and the script to back them up too i think the writing and the voice acting and the music and the visuals like just all of it was really top notch i do i do think it's there were a couple moments where just the technical aspects drew, like i said before drew me out like just when the frame rate drops like i don't i'm yeah, not trying to yeah. be that guy that's you know 60 frames per second 1080p all the time <laughs> but like you know there's just things like that will happen and 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 yeah. it, it'll take me out of the story and that's unfortunate but not not nearly enough to damage my overall experience with the game and um I know something else we didn't talk about was the aftermath of, uh, I know Jessica Curry has mentioned possibly yeah. leaving the industry um, after the events that had taken place. And I hope she doesn't because uh, I think she did a fantastic job. Um, they all did a great job. And I, I just, I hope that the Chinese room sticks around and can keep giving us uh, really unique and well-written and gorgeous games to play from here on. So I'm down for whatever they put out next. Excellent. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Jay? Um, most of what Tony and Sean said, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it. 
And, you know, I mean, I didn't pay for it. So maybe that had something to do with why I'm <laughs> quite positive about it. But, you know, and, and not now that's that that comes across as a great like if I'd paid for it, I would have a gripe. No, I wouldn't actually. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, free is always better. But icing on the cake too. Yeah, know, exactly. Sure. And, yeah. and yeah. Uh, you know, it resonated with me. I liked it. I mean, once I got over the hurdle of, of the tilt control, <laughs> um, yeah. the game clicked. And so much that I, I probably will play through it again. I'm not trophy hunting with that one at all. <laughs> but I want to try and see yeah. it in a more um, coherent order, if, sure. if that makes I, sense. I have to say, things I, do piece together massively second playthrough. You really notice the things yeah. that maybe you miss first yeah. time around. And yeah. I, I know I did notice that there was a trophy for seeing all the conversation things. So yeah. I, I, there are some that I, I've missed. So I'd like to sort of have those extra little bits to the mm-hmm. jigsaw, if you will. So, you know, I liked it. I can't, you know, I didn't have a problem with any of it really, um, apart from <laughs> tilt control. But yeah, yeah, you know, that's it. So yeah, if you've got it, if you've never tried it, I'd definitely recommend it. It's it's different. You know, mm-hmm. have a bit of patience, yeah. give it a shot, and yeah, see what you think. Excellent, thank you. I've I've set myself up for a difficult challenge here. I've got to be more positive than all of you guys. Um, I, I don't know whether this is more positive. Um, th- this is very similar to Dear Esther for me. I think the specifics of Dear Esther and what they're dealing with it feels like a poem in video game form to me, mm-hmm. and the fact that it's discussing. Um, death and being in limbo or in some form of afterlife there's a lot of similar themes but the way it handles it uh it floored me and you'll hear if you go back and listen to issue 34 you'll hear me talk about that what this does that i really love is is it captures something that i recognize in the middle of my soul as being something i associate with with britain and with england Uh, and that's obviously very specific to me um to a People listening who who aren't from England or from from Britain, um, what I would say is, uh, oddly, films like Hot Fuzz and World's End try to capture some of this stuff. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. But this is even smaller, yachting smaller than the settings in those films are. But those are well-known films that are set in quintessentially English Mm. settings. So that's what I would say to someone who's not really got a grasp of what we're talking about or doesn't have a a sort of touchstone, if you like. For me, uh, a film like This Is England um, or Red Road, that in the case of those take poor urban English and and Red Road uh, Glaswegian settings and ground them uh, incredibly well, those are are films I I would think of when I think of Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. I, I, I've mentioned how this game feels like a book to me, and I know to some people that's going to be a problem because games that are light on interactivity, and I mean the the definition of interactivity, where the what you see or what you're doing has an effect on you, and you have an effect on it. And there's a question here of how passive you are in this game in terms of actually affecting the world. You don't. That's and, and a semantic argument for interactivity in this game, I'd lose it every time. To me, what I like about this game, the interactivity happens within me. And what I mean by that is, I am, like I would with a book, I am 
investing part of myself into the game in order I'm I'm an extra processor if you like uh, working out what's going on piecing it together building it up you do this in every game but in a game like this that's what it's about to me like I do with a book where you get a description or you, or you you hear uh, or you read a voice of a character and you build up what they are to you that's what the interaction I get from a game like this is putting part of myself into it and what I get out of that is as much as any more demonstrably interactive game would be. Um, I've steered clear of the whole interactivity game, not a game argument. We've had it before. I've never heard a coherent argument as to why I should care about the level of interactivity from an experience like this because it bowls me over that the Chinese room have gone from Dear Esther to this and the scope of ambition that they have for this is astounding to me um as as uh, sean i think you just mentioned it's uh th- that obviously there are several reasons jessica curry wrote a blog post as to why she mm-hmm. may step away from the games industry uh and some of those are not related to the making of this game yeah. and the games industry itself some you know jessica curry has to take care of herself and her family at first and that's understandable the thought that her music and her design in terms of being a director on this game uh might not be seen in video games again uh terrifies me frankly i think it's a big loss i think it's it's a horrible thought um because this game means that that much to me that's that's all i can kind of say um about it, I don't think I can give it any higher praise than to say the thought of not playing something like this again. Um, that I, my my world would be lesser for it. Hey, hey, James. Um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, that's that's issue two hundred fifty one. We're in volume six. Um, it remains for me in Leon's Leon's. Uh, words it remains for me james carter to thank jay taylor sean o'brien and tony atkins thank you to everyone listening for embarking upon volume six with us it's going to be a wild ride and speaking of wild rides next time in issue 252 leon dons his conductor's cap as he and his brave cohorts ride the rails of new hyrule in the legend of zelda spirit tracks <laughs>